Welcome to the Elevate Media Podcast with your host, Chris Anderson. In this show, Chris and his guests will share their knowledge and experience on how to go from zero to successful entrepreneur. They have built their businesses from scratch and are now ready to give back to those who are just starting. Let's get ready to learn, grow, and elevate our businesses. And now your host, Chris Anderson. Welcome back to the Elevate Media Podcast. I'm Chris Anderson, your host. And today we're going to be diving into the topic of building culture within your organization, within your company, even if it's small, even if it's only got a couple people beside you. Um, and I'm excited to bring on an expert in this topic. Years of experience, he's going to dive into that. But Manuel, welcome to the Elevate Media Podcast today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously building culture, you know, it takes some experience. It takes some background. And with that, you have plenty of, so if you could share real quick with the audience, you know, what is your background? What makes you an expert in this topic? Okay. Uh, Thanks for letting me share. I was born and raised in Brazil and I was there for the first 30 years of my life during which I was working as an engineer first, but also I built a very nice business when I was still in college. I built a college prep uh, course. We had over 2,000 students in any given year. Until I sold it, I wasn't born to be an engineer. I found that out during the first five years of my career. Then I came to the U.S. to get an MBA and make the career change. I went to Harvard got my MBA there. After I graduated, I started a career in marketing, starting with uh, Procter & Gamble because that was a pretty good school, still is a pretty good school for marketers. Uh, I I had the fastest uh, career path in the history of the company for more than 200 years. I made uh, Procter & Gamble only hires newly grads, and then it develops its managers and give them opportunities to grow and to have an international career if they're promising. And I made it to pretty much the top level of the company, seven years when the average at that time was 15. And And I got there primarily because I became a corporate entrepreneur. We can dive more into that later. But I did things that I wasn't asked to do. I did things that were not in my job description, uh, but built businesses and built businesses fast. A lot of people think that because they are working in a large corporation, they cannot be entrepreneurs. And it's quite the opposite. If you are a corporate entrepreneur, the prospects of your career will increase significantly. In fact, uh, if there is a, a class at Harvard called Corporate Entrepreneurship. But anyways, I, I spent my first 10 years there. And then I became uh, a CEO outside. Uh, I was hired to be the CEO to do a major cultural transformation in a, a recently privatized uh, huge telecom uh, company in Brazil too, but controlled by, by a Spanish company uh, it were they were five years of major transformation uh, it became a case taught today in the Harvard Business School 
after that, I, I managed uh, a large retailing uh, company in the electronics and uh, and appliances uh, space. Prepared to sell, it was needing a lot of a uh, lot of changes as well. My career was made out of uh, promoting, implementing, championing uh, change. So in four years, I, you know, I changed the company, prepared it for sale. We sold it successfully. And then I decided to retire at that time. During the time that I was uh, managing this, uh, this large retailer with over 600 stores, I also started up my second business, which was a consulting business that grew very fast and very profitable. We had about uh, 30 employees serving large corporations when I sold my share to my partners. Uh, and then I decided to retire. I came to the U.S. I was a member of the advisory council of the Merritt School of Business in Utah. And uh, they invited me to go and teach marketing, yeah. uh, international marketing. So I decided that I was going to do that. Came to Park City in Utah, where I had a home. And, you know, two months before the classes were supposed to start, I got an invitation to start up a company back in Brazil, which uh, had money from a large media group as well as a private equity company. Mm. That was very enticing to me because the plan was to bring the company uh, to go pl public. And I had never done that in my career. So I went back, we started up, the company was in the education space. We had a tremendous growth. I mean, two years, we were the seventh largest education company in the world. Wow. I took it public in 2012. In 2014, a large private equity uh, company bought the media company shares as well as the other private equity shares. That was back in 2014. And that's when I finally retired. <laughs> I'm not working for anybody else uh, since then, but I continue to look for opportunities to invest. Mm -hmm. In this search for investment in 2012, so two years prior to my retirement, I invested in a startup in Utah in the real estate space. The founders, the three founders, were the only guys working in the business. Uh, but I felt that the business model was very nice, that they had a lot of uh, opportunities to grow, and I invested. And initially, I was a little involved, uh, primarily bringing investors to the company. Today, I'm still a partner there. The company has $5 billion in assets under management. We have over 40,000 apartments in uh, 39 states. We are among the top 50 real estate companies in, in the U.S. And in 2019, I made my last investment also with very young entrepreneurs. I was part of the angel group who came in to do the first investment. The company is called Pura Sense. Uh, in just four years, uh, they became a unicorn. They are valued 
uh, at over a billion dollars today. They haven't gone public yet, but they uh, they have sales of over two hundred million dollars. That's how they're going to close this year. Just to give you an idea of how significant this is, and I've worked for Procter and Gamble in, um, for many years and in some years here in the United States. Just two percent of the brands that are launched in any given year achieve the one hundred million dollars uh, mark. Well, Pura has achieved two hundred in just four years. Wow! And I am the coach of uh, of the CEO. His name is Bruno. It, and culture is a very important part of how they built that business. And hopefully we're going to be able to talk about that as well. Yeah. Well, anyway, so this is my background. Yeah. I live in Orlando now. That's where I'm uh, talking from. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing and just amazing to hear kind of your journey and all you've done and been a part of and, and the success you've had and, yeah, and it's like you mentioned, culture is such a big part of success with businesses. So why? why no, uh, there is one more thing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, why do I have the credentials to talk about this? Yeah. Last August, I I launched uh, a book a book mm. on culture. It's uh, with two other co-authors or business school professors, one here in the United States. He's the third. Uh, his name is Jane, uh, Jay Barney. He's the third most cited professor in business strategy uh, in the world. Hmm. And the other one is called Carlos Julio. He's a business school professor back in Brazil. Uh, the book has been a uh, great success so far in only five months. Uh, it's called The Secret of Culture Change. Hmm. And we have real-life stories of business leaders of all sizes in all the industries in several geographies who have transformed the culture of the places that they have led. So that's, I think, another credential here to present to your audience. Yeah, and this is just really amazing. It's it's honor to have you on the show and, and humbled to speak with you today. So, yeah, why is culture so important, you know, to businesses' success? Okay. So let me start from where any entrepreneur should start. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, any business needs strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So it is very important before we talk about culture that uh, it becomes clear to the entrepreneur what is the strategy that they uh, want to implement in their respective companies or startups. Once that is clear, and only once that is clear, comes the next question, which is, what is going to be the culture that I want in my company that will support the strategy that I want to implement? Because, and why is this important? Because yeah. there are plenty of studies that say that if your culture and your strategy are not aligned, the company is not going to perform well. Okay. Uh, because companies where culture and strategy are aligned, and again, there are several studies that demonstrate that, they perform much better than the companies that don't have that aligned. So thinking about what kind of culture you want to have to support your strategy 
It's super important. And then it comes all of the work to building that culture as you're building the, the business. So strategy and culture are aligned because culture is a key ingredient in the strategy implementation. In my opinion, it's the most important ingredient in building a business that will support a given strategy. Because of that and because strategies are not the same for different mm -hmm. companies, there is not an ideal culture. So if you ask me, you know, what's the ideal culture for a company? I'm going to tell you, I don't know which company you're talking about. What type of culture do they want to build that will align with the strategy? And what is the strategy? Yeah. You know, so uh, different co companies can have different cultures depending on the strategies that they're implementing. Are there, are there main strategy, strategies that you see successful businesses use and then pair it with their specific cultures? Well, again, that depends. Right. I have been, you know, when I when I was called to manage mm -hmm. the telecommunications company, for instance, uh, for the first two years, the the uh, culture was a culture of command and control, and okay. culture of focusing on the technical aspects of the business. Why? Because at that point in time, when I came in, we had very important goals in terms of laying out the network uh, that were imposed by the government it was a highly regulated uh, industry. Okay. So all we cared about was to make sure that we were deploying the, the network uh, throughout our region uh, within the schedule. When you have a strategy like this, and it was as simple as that, we need to deploy the network with the best available technology within the next two years. What that calls for is a very disciplined, army-like uh, culture. You know, you, we met, uh, we examined the plans for the next week, for the next month, for the next three months, mm -hmm. and then people were given tasks, and we needed to supervise those tasks and make sure that they were, they were happening. However, by the end of those two years, the monopoly that we had been granted to uh, make the necessary investments, we were investing $5 billion per year, uh, would cease and new competitors were going to come in. Mm. So once the network was involved, the, the game changed completely and we needed a new strategy. We needed a customer-focused strategy so the customers would be happy with our service and not inclined to switch. We needed to be innovative to bring to the market uh, packages of services that would appeal to the different segments. We needed to understand the customers. And so I had to make a huge change. Mm. It was command and control. It was not going to happen anymore. Creativity, innovation engages all of the organization. And I needed to empower everybody. So there is not a, a, a right culture. Okay. What there is, is what is the right strategy for that moment or for those next few years. And uh, if you don't adapt, if you don't change as businesses change, and, and there, there are lots of changes taking place, in the marketplace today, you look at the list of the top 500 companies 10 years ago, completely different from what it is today. 
I mean, technology has changed the, you know, the the profile, the socioeconomic profile of the customers has changed. And if companies continue to do what they have always done, they're going to die. An example, Kodak. Mm. Kodak was the leader in the photography market. And and uh, you're gonna, you probably don't know this. They invented digital photography. Okay, they they died. They they're not there in the in the digital photography anymore. Right. They were reluctant to change their strategy because it was going to cannibalize their print photos business, where they make made money, a lot of money. So they let that technology, that technology be discovered, be developed, and be exploited by other companies who are leading the market today. So long uh, answer to a, to a simple question. <laughs> well, I think that's a very good point, though, you make is that as we grow and as things change, that we have to change. Like we have to be able to adapt. Yeah, maybe. You know, Pure has started with the uh, same a technology with the same uh, with the same culture in mind, which mm-hmm. they have nicely implemented. They have grown from zero, basically. When I entered, they hadn't sold anything to two hundred million today, but they are still on the same path. Change was not required yet. Maybe it will be in the future, but right. it only be worrying about now. Last year, I had this culture and this strategy. This year, I need to have another one. If it's working. If it's promoting growth, then you just keep the path and improve and and uh, try to do it better. That's a good point too, and I think trying to navigate that and understanding like when it is the right time, like when change is needed. Like you said, if it's still growing, you can continue on with what you're doing, right? Yeah. If there are no new competitors, if there are no new technologies when these things happen. Or are about to happen. The best uh, strategies they see trends mm-hmm. uh, and they get ahead of the trends, mm-hmm. be on top of the of the wave when when the the changes actually happen. Then the next question is: This change is going to happen. Are we with a strategy and a culture to support that strategy that is is going to win, continue to win in this new environment? If the answer is yes, just keep keep going. If it is no, then the next questions are, what do we need to change and why? Yeah. And if that requires a changing strategy, the next question is, okay, it's, new, it's a new game. It's a new strategy, new competitors, new technology. Uh, is what we're doing in terms of building our culture consistent with what we need to do now? Mm. And many times the people who were successful within your organization in doing what you've done so far to be successful. They are not uh, malleable. They are not prone to change. They refuse to change. And a lot of that happens, particularly in a company that was doing well before. Mm-hmm. And you have to question if you have the right people working with you. If not, let them go and keep moving. Yeah. So if someone's you know starting out, in their business, they're, maybe they're not huge or they're just small. They got maybe a couple people. How can they still build a culture once they have that strategy compared to a bigger company? Is it easier or harder or simpler um, in a smaller organization versus a bigger? Or is a bigger a little bit simpler because of the 
the I think that, that changing or building a culture mm -hmm. within a smaller organization, in my opinion, is easier than mm -hmm. doing it in a large corporation. Let me tell yeah. you why. Yeah. Now, when I when I got promoted, and, and, and I'm going to get a little bit into the content of my my book, mm. uh, which is fruit of research amongst uh, people who have been culture change champions or culture builder champions. Uh, when, when I uh, became a general manager with Procter & Gamble, uh, the business changed around the world completely, but completely. We were organized geographically, so the profit centers were the different countries. And from night to day, the company changed its uh, organization to make the businesses be global business units. Uh, and the geographies became sales organizations and human resource organizations, meaning, uh, for instance, I, I became one of the 28 uh, profit and loss managers in the company globally because we created seven business units and there were four regions. And I was assigned to be one, a member of the global uh, leadership committee for the Pampers business, Baby Care. Mm -hmm. And uh, also the guy responsible for the PNL in Latin America, 13 countries in Latin America. So huge change. I mean, I had to tell all of the presidents of each one of the 13 countries that now the decisions about product development, marketing, uh, manufacturing, and the plants that they used to supervise was not my responsibility. And I would call the shots on those uh, related decisions, huge. So the president of uh, of the baby care division, who later became one of the CEOs of 3M, he called us on an offsite. We were just 10 guys in the global leadership committee. And he wanted to talk about what kind of culture we want to build. That proved to be one of the best seminars that I have ever participated in in my life. It impacted the rest of my career. They called this guru, I forgot his name, this, this guy who was uh, the authority in culture building. And we spent uh, hours debating the definition of culture and how you identify culture. And at the end, the conclusion or the learning that was shared was you define a culture by listening what your employees are talking about in the cafeteria, in the corridors, in informal settings. If you're able to listen to what they're talking about, you're going to be able to define what is the strategy that the company is pursuing. So creating those conversations or enabling or motivating this conversa those conversations is a key job of the leader. Why? Mm -hmm. Because everybody talks about what the leader does. Yeah. And this is what we found out and confirmed in our research that in order to create a culture, to build a culture, you need to create stories. Not tell stories, but create stories. I'll give you an example. Yeah. From, from Pura. One of the things he wanted the company to be uh, 
was to be a transparent company and to be a company that was where everybody felt that they were human. They they had this this uh, desire to be in an environment where they treated people not like machines, not like soldiers, not like uh, subordinates, but as human beings. So he doesn't have an office. He works uh, side by side, the different teams within Pura, hmm. uh, because they don't have assigned uh, seats, assigned desks. Mm-hmm. So when he feels like there's a lot of you know going on in product development, he sits with the product development people. His desk side is the same desk size of the guy who was recruited recently out of college. Hmm. They talk that that doesn't create any barriers. Mm-hmm. You know he is transparent. He said, "Look, today I need to to leave at 4 p.m. because my kids are playing in the soccer tournament at school. I'm human. I'm a father. I like to be with my kids. It's okay if you do the same." So when the CEO of the company is behaving in a way like this, he is creating stories. When they're having lunch at the cafeteria, what is the, com- the conversation going to be about? Did you know that Bruno is sitting with us this week? And we have talked about this, this, and that. You know, he is a guy who, you know, when he has a family affair, which is important to him, he leaves at four. So it's okay for us if we do the same. You know, what, what is important is that we achieve the results. And they are month after month after month, they're achieving record sales. But Bruno is, through his behavior, creating stories that are consistent or that reflect the principles he wants in his culture. So if you have 20 employees working for you in your startup, you know, how are you behaving? You know, what are they talking about you? It needs Your behavior needs to reflect the principles and create the stories that will reinforce those principles and that will motivate your people to follow the same principles. What we found is something very simple. You know, it's not this, the CEO or the leader or the entrepreneur, the founder has to walk, uh, to walk the talk. He needs his walk to talk mm. because there's nothing that speaks louder in any organization, then what the leader is doing, how the leader is behaving. So you need to be, as as the entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO, the champion of culture building or, or culture change. Mm. I think that's, that's great because like as a leader, like that starts with us, right? How yeah. we present and how we have conversations and, you know, can your people feel comfortable com- enough to come to you with conversations like is that part of your culture i think is a huge thing you know at elevate we're 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 super small stuff you know we got uh three contracted employees but i tell them i'm like hey if you guys have family stuff like let's work around it because family is super important to me like i'm gonna go be with my kids when i need to be with my kids or my wife like and open that door and show them like let's have these conversations like I'll, I'll go on site sometimes with them as they do video production 
And, uh-huh. I, you know, I still enjoy the creativity side. So I'll grab a camera and I'll like try to get some shots and, and we bring it back and we're looking through them. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is mine. Uh, just destroy me. What did I do wrong? Because these guys, I mean, have a lot more experience with the camera and doing things like that. And I'm like, okay, so like you could do this better. I'm like, yeah, just let me know. Like I can learn. And so that opens up the door of them feeling comfortable to give me even, you know, constructive feedback. So then if I have some for them, it, you know, it allows that just that openness to be there. Yeah. Uh, what the leader does speaks very loudly and it becomes uh, something very memorable to the rest of the organization. I'll give you a very simple example. And our book is full of these examples. Uh, when I was CEO of Telefonica, that's the name of the telecom company, okay. I was 80. Uh, first two years was, you know, this is how we do it. This is what we have to do it. Upset. And one of the things that we never ask our customers was how we communicated with them. Is this effective, not effective? So one day we had a very important piece of communication related to a legal change in our business that we needed to communicate to our customers. So I wanted to see the communication. I want to see the letter that they were writing to communicate to our customers. So this communications committee of eight people came to my meeting room. I read the letter and I said, guys, it's not going to work. This is written in Greek. They're not going to be able to understand any of that. And they, each one of them defended why that was right or and why it was appropriate. I said, look, let's, let's ask the boss. And they stopped, you know, their, their puzzle uh-huh. semblance was, well, we guess you were the boss. <laughs> I said, well, let's ask the boss. Follow me. So I was in the 11th floor. We went down to the street <laughs> and I stopped people on the street. He said, look, what, what's your name? Would you have five minutes to talk to us? Are you our customer? We asked them if they had a phone line. They, uh-huh. they had to wear our customers because we were a monopoly at that time. Changing uh, to becoming mm-hmm. one of the players. And then I said, look, we wrote this letter. We want to make sure that people like you understand that there is some division here. Some think it's appropriate, something some others think it's not. So we're going to read the first paragraph to you. Just tell us what you understood. <laughs> and there's no right or wrong answer. So we did it with the first guy. And after we read the first paragraph, the guy said, look, I, I, I am sorry. I... I don't have my high school diploma. So some of the words here, I really don't understand. I'm sorry, I cannot help. I said, well, great. 80% of our clients don't have a high school diploma. So you've been very helpful, more than you think. Thank you very much. We went to the next one. And then after 10 10 guys that we had talked to, uh, the other eight guys with me who were defending the redaction of the letter in terms of the letter said look we got it (laughs) this is not appropriate uh we're going to rewrite this we're going to check with consumers and then we'll come back to you for we said okay let the boss speak (laughs) now guess if that became a conversation in the cafeteria or in the corridors the ceo of this multi-billion dollars company goes to the street to talk to customers to check if the uh, 
a, a letter is appropriate. What is that? We've never said that. Uh, what is what is the wisdom behind this? What is the expectation that this is creating for us and how we conduct our work? So, what a lot of uh, leaders of small or large companies do not understand is the power of their behavior. Everybody observes yep. what they're doing. So if they behave in a way that is consistent with the culture they're, they're trying to create or to change, in my case, it was a change. In Bruno's case, it was creating. Uh, they are going to behave in a way that will be speaking very, very loudly to their organization. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a great kind of point to, to wrap up, wrap up on is, is people are, you know, out there building their businesses to think about that, you know, your reflection of the culture. And so how are you going to do that? So, uh, Manuel, this has been awesome conversation. I mean, can, can I, we just, can I just use 30 more seconds to share? Absolutely. Yeah. But what, yeah. are, what are the six things of these stories you create they need to have in common? Whatever is the culture you want to create, one, they need to be authentic. If the leader is behaving in a way that is fake, he's forcing himself. No, this this case that I have just shared with you, it was authentic. I really believe that the boss is a customer. So needs to be authentic. If it is not, if you can't be authentic, leave, shut down. Yeah. It's not going to work. Second, you need to be the star of the story initially. Mm. You are the one who needs to go out and show. Third, uh, it needs a clean break if you're changing the culture mm. with the best, but point the way forward. Before we didn't talk to customers, now we're going to have to talk to customers. Fourth, they need to speak to the hearts but and the minds of consumers. A lot of people just think that... Uh, if I just explain the strategy, they will get it and they will do it. No, show it. Mm. Show the responses of your behavior, how they are pausing. That appeals to the heart as well. Many times they need to be theatrical. You mm. know, when you go out and you're interviewing people on the street, this is very theatrical for a CEO, right? Or made a CEO to do that. And finally, over time, you need to promote a story cascade. What What is that? Yeah. You need to encourage your direct reports first and then their direct reports to go out and do something. How do you encourage that? When you see that, go there. Go to their desk and shake their hand. Say, I heard you did this last week. This is totally consistent with our culture. Great. Keep doing it. Or you put their stories in the monthly letter, mm. or you write an email to the rest of the organization. Look, I heard that John last week did this, this, and that. This is great. This is exactly what we want. And then people are going to be encouraged to build their stories too. These are the six ingredients of successful culture building, culture changing behavior. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that and not leaving without, because I think those six things are, are, are huge. And uh, so, Manuel, again, uh, this has been a great conversation, so much value packed into this. And this, I mean, obviously this could go on hours and hours if we really dug into things. And um, 
so I, I appreciate what you have shared. I know people can get a lot from it. If people do want to connect with you or find out more about you or your book, what's the best place or path for them to go? Both. Well, our book, uh, it's called, again, The Secret of Culture Change, How Authentic Stories Transform Your Organization. It can be found on Amazon. Awesome. Very easy. And if they want to connect with me, uh, just look for my LinkedIn profile. My my name is Manuel, M-A-N-O-E-L. The last name is Amorim, A-M-O-R-I-M. And there are not too many with the same name or like Awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, send me a message and we can talk, start a conversation. Yeah. Uh, make sure you get connected with them. Check out that book if you're looking to get a good change or a good culture in your uh, in your business or change to a good culture uh, and get connected with them on LinkedIn there. So uh, again, Manuel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Look forward to getting this out to everybody. Okay. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Media Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. See you in the next episode.